Ideas are everywhere. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. I'm your host, David Bellarive. To rebrand or not to rebrand? Well, a rebrand can be a huge success or it can be a huge failure. And that's what we're going to talk about today with my guest, Megan Matthews. She heads up Instinct Brand Equity Coaches. Megan's worked with brands like Johnson & Johnson, Adidas by Stella McCartney, Gap and Dove, and helps them, has helped them keep a clear and consistent brand strategy across the globe. Megan is a proud Canadian, but she's based in London, England now, and that's where I caught up with her. Hello, hello. Hi, David. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's uh, great to meet you. Uh, thank you for, for coming on the podcast. Thanks, David, for having me. Could we start, and, and uh, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? You have a fascinating history. Yeah, absolutely. So I have been in um, the PR and integrated marketing world, if you will, for 17 years now. Um, I find that PR is becoming a very blurred category of, of what that stands for. And so that's mm-hmm. why I say integrated marketing. And um, I've worked in primarily PR and marketing agencies for my career in Toronto, where I'm from originally, um, New York, and now in the UK, London, and um, decided to make the switch into focusing more on brand, following in my father's footsteps, Ted Matthews, who is um, a brand expert from Toronto and author of um, Brand Name the Logo. And I decided, always loved what he did, wanted to take a, a bit of a shift from the PR world. And it felt like a really natural evolution because branding is all about storytelling. And really, that's what PR is, too. So, um Branched out on my own after being in uh, in various agencies, including Edelman here in the UK, and uh, and now have my own practice called Instinct. That's fantastic! Yeah, um, I read your father's book, and I really uh, really enjoyed it. And uh, I'm sure you've you've managed to uh, soak in all that knowledge over the years and and gained your own. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, basically drove my mom and brother crazy by my dad and I talking about branding and marketing at the dinner table every night. So I can honestly say I grew up with it. (laughs) Yeah. So I wanted to get you on the episode. We're talking about rebranding and it's come up through uh, some questions and people interested in learning more about, you know, what is a rebrand? Why do what, you know, what? Yeah. Um, what's your experience with, with rebranding? Yeah, I would say it's probably a term that comes up, gosh, every time I'm meeting with a new client, there's some mention of we've just gone through a rebrand or are about to go through a rebrand. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest thing I find is that the term is thrown around a lot in the marketing world and has various different meanings. Um, First and foremost, I think people still perceive brands to mean the visual brand. So people yeah. will often, you know, refer to a rebrand as, oh, our logo is changing, our company colors are changing. But these elements are really just the visual representation of a brand. And, and we say that the, the, the only word synonymous with brand is actually culture. So it's really, you know, when people are saying, are they going through a rebrand? The first thing I do is, is decipher, okay, is this more of a visual 
identity refresh or is this an actual rebrand, which is sort of looking at the company culture and what the company stands for and sort of all elements of how that filters throughout the company, which I believe is what a true rebrand is. And I must say in the PR world, I can't tell you how many times I've been briefed by companies who said, we're going through a rebrand. We really want to get some press on it. And this has often meant they're redesigning their logo and they want some press coverage. And unless it's sort of, you know, a packaging trade publication, unfortunately, nobody cares. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Unless you're maybe Heinz changing the label that was designed in 1869. Otherwise, it's not news. So that's always the toughest conversation from a PR perspective. Um, But, you know, a a true rebrand can be newsworthy in that, in its truest sense. So if it's a change that's literally affected, you know, many facets of the company and the way things operate and changing the company for the better, then that can be newsworthy. So coming from a PR lens, that's one way to look at it. And then now working in the branding world, yeah, the biggest question is, is first, are you talking about a visual brand um, refresh or are you talking about a true, true rebrand? We, um, we get very much the similar kind of approach. What do you think in, what do you think is kind of the catalyst for someone to say, uh, I, uh, we're going through a rebrand or we need a rebrand? Yeah, I think, I think there's two main reasons from what I've experienced. Um, I think the first reason is because the executive team or the marketing team, they're bored. They're bored with what has been so true. Oh, right. They just are like, okay, we've talked about this for, for a few years now. I don't want to say this statement, this tagline one more time again. I'm a bit sick of the fact that this is what we stand for. Let's just do a refresh because everyone, you know, everyone else is probably bored. But the number one thing I say to clients is that the moment you start to get sick of your messaging, what the brand is all about, that's likely when the general public is actually just starting to take note. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You know, I think boredom's a big one. And I think the second reason is because a new a new friend has arrived to the company. So it's often a new senior executive, new person in the marketing department, maybe a new CMO who wants to make their mark and they feel like that's the best way to do it. Um, but I really believe it's far more impressive to to evolve an existing brand and sort of bring new life to it versus having to change a lot of things um, if, if it's not necessary. So I think those are the two reasons why a rebrand is typically being suggested in the truest sense with, with package redesign and and sort of visual refresh, as I call it, um, you know, that can have less sort of serious reasons as to why it's needed. Often, often it's the case of, you know, labeling challenges, things like that, which, which are just necessary. But again, I don't call that a rebrand. There's a, uh, I always use a Kurt Vonnegut quote that everybody wants to build and nobody wants to maintain. It just seems like always the word. Oh, true. <laughs> That's a great one. That's so, a great one. And having worked, sorry, I was just going to say, having worked in the client service business for so long as you do, um, you know, you really, you really have to be careful when people are suggesting a rebrand because you, it, it, it's quite tender if it's a new client, that person is a new executive in the company to say, are you doing this just because you want to make your mark? You really have to find a way to do it. But that's, um, you know, uh, being very, very respectful of their role. So it can be a challenge. So let me ask you that, because if it is boredom or a new friend, uh, well, let's start with boredom. What can you do to, um, I guess, 
reinvigorate a, van, a brand without, um, without rebranding? Yeah, well, I think the first thing to do is actually find out if your customers, stakeholders are actually bored as well. Mm. Um, because as, as my dad's book title says, a brand, your brand is what people think of you. And, um, and so first and foremost, I think it's talking to some key stakeholders, it's talking to customers, talking to partners, talking to employees, find out if there is boredom to what the brand is standing for. Um, and then I, the best thing you can do is, is have that feedback and present it back to the executive team and say, okay, you were right. People are bored. Let's look at a shift or you know what? People are actually finally understanding what the brand is about. Um, it's very clear to people. Sure. Maybe we can do some tweaks here and there, but a full rebrand isn't necessary. So I think the best way to do it is to gather feedback from the people who matter and then present that back versus. I find being, you know, a consultant going in, sure, I can say that, but they'll mm-hmm. often say, no, 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 we know best, we know best. But if you can present the facts and say, well, look at the most important stakeholders and what they're saying, they can't argue with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So when, um, like I look at brands and, and even clients will look at brands and go, we want to be like them. And you go, well, they've been the same yeah. since ever. Uh, when is it, and it is, I guess, occasionally uh, advisable to, to rebrand, when is it, or have you seen that uh, in your experience, that's the best solution? Yeah, it's a really good question. You know what, having worked with Unilever, both in Canada, as well as here in the UK, um, on the global business, where we essentially set the strategy for the Dove brand um, for all the markets that, that it exists in, um, you know, when we then talk to other clients, they would say, okay, we want to be like Dove with the Dove campaign for real beauty. Mm-hmm. We want to have a mission that's very clear and, and we want to, you know, be known for it and, and truly break through like Dove has. And I mean, yeah, that was a breakthrough campaign that's been years and years and years in the works and um, continues to, to carry on. And so when is a rebrand actually a good idea? Again, I think it's first figuring out um, what do your stakeholders think of you? Is there, um, number one, is the brand maybe feeling outdated? And if the brand is feeling outdated, so what it stands for is maybe no longer relevant in the cultural space, then I think that's a great reason for a rebrand. Or sometimes there's a significant issue that's requiring the company to relook at its approach or core purpose and sort of give the company a completely new, um, vibe so that customers aren't scared off from whatever that challenge was. And, you know, there's, there's an, I have an example of a company I worked with in the U S when I was working at an agency in New York, um, primarily in the fashion industry. And this, um, the company is Athleta and they're not in Canada yet, but I really hope they come to Canada. It's, um, a women's apparel company. And I don't know if you're familiar with athleisure, David, but it's a big trend. Basically it's, (laughs) gym wear that you can wear out to brunch and oh, yeah, looks yeah. great whether you're at the gym or on the street, right? And it's turning, it's, it's becoming a big thing for men as well. Um, but Athleta originally was started as a company that was catering to sort of women who loved outdoorsy hiking. It was based in Petaluma, California, which is outside San Francisco. Very kind of granola, if you will. Um, then the athleisure trend hit in 2011. And a couple of years prior to this, actually, Gap had purchased Athleta. 
And they recognized that Athleta would quickly be left behind in this trend if they didn't sort of revive their brand to be less about kind of hiking outdoors. Um, it, it was sort of becoming a bit outdated. Even the designs were looking a bit outdated. Okay. So their company culture literally did the most incredible evolution in terms of new hires, women from fashion backgrounds who were also very sporty and outdoorsy and still catered to that original ethos of the brand, but kind of brought a new trend-focused approach. And um, they they made a mission completely focused on women, so it's all about power to the she and supporting women in a variety of sports. They Their marketing is all about using a diverse array of women. They did away with the floral motifs and sort of very um, hiking, hiking, uh, hiking themed apparel and made it much more trend driven. And as a result, it's one of Gap's um, most um, successful brands currently. And, you know, they, they did an amazing job of staying true to their original brand. And they're still using the same tagline, Power to the She, which they, they um, announced with the rebrand eight years ago. I think it's really impressive they're still using it. It's still working really well. I'm sure internally they're bored of it, but they haven't shifted from it because it's clearly still working for them. They just recently moved the office from Petaluma, California into downtown San Francisco. So unfortunately, that sort of truly, um, you know, uh, that those origins aren't, aren't there anymore, but they, they kept that up for a while. Anyways, I just think it's a brilliant rebrand. And anyone that knows the brand knows that um, it really did a shift and one that felt like a very natural evolution. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's such a great success story. And, and, um, and I say power to them because unfortunately Gap isn't a great news story right now in general for the company, but, but Athleta is one of their, one of their heroes. That's a really fascinating, um, uh, a really yeah. fascinating story now, or uh, I guess rebrand because they really didn't, I mean, visually, I guess they would have, um, adapted, but like you said, original, or like you said, um, initially they kind of changed or expanded what they stood for moving away from yes. yeah they did that's a really good way to put it yet i felt they didn't alienate their existing customers so mm-hmm. the women who are really into hiking and outdoorsy adventures they still had a line for them they just made it look a bit more trend driven a bit more um of the moment if you will and in line with sort of what was happening in the broader industry um and they did such a good job of not alienating the existing woman um, but expanding their reach to be a much wider audience and really competing in the U.S. with Lululemon now. So now it's, when, a, it's a great story. Yeah. yeah. Now, when, when Dove did um, their Real Beauty and came out with that, that was more they actually just all of a sudden took a stand on something and maybe, mm. maybe uh, defined what it is they stood for or made a, uh, a line in the sand and said, we're going to stand for something beyond... Um, soap, I guess. Soap, yeah, yes. Would that be a difficult thing for, um, I guess, an outsider to recommend to a brand? Or does that have to come, like you talked about culture and how important that is, is that something that has to come from within to make that work? I think that's such a good question. I think it has. To, it used to be in PR, you'd say, and in and, and integrated marketing, quite frankly, you'd say to a company, okay, what's your... CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility Program. Yeah. And, um, you, you know, this was back in when I first 
started my career so 17 years ago and you'd kind of say okay you, the founder believes in you know um, research for brain cancer so let's sponsor the brain cancer ball happening in Toronto done we've done our CSR for the year yeah now yeah. customers are much more savvy and they want it ingrained as you say in the company culture so with Dove, you know, I think it's an interesting one in that, yes, they all of a sudden kind of did decide to define what they stood for. They'd always been about sort of self-care and that notion of, you know, um, really taking the time to care for yourself. And, and it wasn't, I guess, a massive shift. It wasn't a revolution. It was sort of an evolution from where they'd, they'd been and a very natural one. And one thing Unilever is amazing at is helping all of their brands find a purpose. And a really good example of that is, um, so I think, yes, I would go into a company and absolutely say they have to find their purpose, but they have to find one that feels like a very natural fit. So Tresemme was a brand that um, when I was at Edelman was a client of the business and they um, wanted to find their purpose. And the um, Tresemme is a hair care brand for women um, that's sold in drugstores, essentially it's in Canada, it's global. And um, essentially, they wanted to find a, a greater purpose. And that's tough when you're a brand that, you know, traditionally been associated with Fashion Week, very much kind of a frivolous, fun, you know, young hair care brand. Yeah. But they looked to their founder, who was a woman who um, in the 40s was an entrepreneur, broke the rules and really launched her own business, launched this beauty company that then was later purchased by Unilever. And so they looked to their, their original founder and found that there was inspiration in that. And they built their purpose platform off this notion and today have a platform that supports young female career driven women, either entrepreneurs or essentially helping millennial women find their confidence in the workplace. And I think, and you know, with the, with the tie in that, if you have great hair, feel great, look great, your confidence all around is, is, um, is higher. So, you know, I think that's an incredibly natural evolution rather than saying, okay, we're for women, let's support breast cancer research when there yeah. was no heritage in that. Yeah, yeah, So exactly. I think it's about finding purpose that links to where the brand's been. Yeah. I love, I love that. doing that for clients. Yeah. I love that they've uh, they've they've found that authentic connection to their past. Was the founder still there at the time, or how? Because a lot of no. brands do struggle with kind of they'll they'll reach back and find something that they feel is authentic or they want to build on, but they don't really push it through because again, it's so cultural, right? It's so cultural. It's a good point, and I think that one. No, she definitely wasn't still involved. Um, but I think Unilever does a very good job at looking back to the past and, and they did a good job too in terms of company culture and instilling this. So they had, there's a lot of young women on the Tresemme team at Unilever mm -hmm. and they basically had a guest speaker come in. They have a partnership with a woman who wrote a book about um, presence in the workplace and sort of confidence in the workplace. And they had her come and speak to all of the employees to talk about confidence in the workplace. So they did an amazing job. They actually had Edelman um, develop a program that was, how do we launch this internally? So people internally believe in it too. Because in, if, you, if your employees don't believe in it, they're the number one brand ambassadors and there's no point in launching it further. So they did an amazing job of building it into the culture um, and ensuring that, that the women and, and men working on the brand felt, felt buy-in with the, the purpose that they were launching. 
Yeah. So I a, just thought that was done really well. It's a really big commitment, isn't it? Because it's more than that historic, oh, we're going to write a check. Now we're, we actually have to, yeah. I guess, walk the talk in this live sense. Live it. Yeah, live it. Yeah. It's, exactly. Well, the other thing you mentioned was, um, I guess, when a rebrand is uh, needed for, I guess, negative or from your PR background, maybe you've encountered that where it's just not working or has some bad history. Have you had any experience there where a brand has just got to get out and change? It's a good question. I've not had the experience where, thank goodness, I think, where yeah. a company is in such a situation where they need to essentially do a full kind of a full evolution from where they've been. Um, oftentimes with very smart kind of approaches, you can help a company get out of a, a difficult situation. But one company that I think needs the rebrand because of what's happening currently is Victoria's Secret. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they have their annual Victoria's Secret fashion show, um, which is televised, I think globally. And this year, they got a lot of flack for it because they basically came out saying, we're all about diversity this year. We've got, you know, a completely diverse group of models. Um, in the end, they were still all supermodels. And no. what was great is that they're absolutely culturally diverse. And they had Winnie Harlow, who's um, actually a Canadian model, with vitiligo, that um, uh, essentially a skin, skin condition. Mm-hmm. And they had her in the show along with, you know, women from all different cultural backgrounds. But people came out and said, you cannot call this a diverse fashion show when every single woman still looks like a supermodel. Yeah. Um, and so there was big backlash on that. And I think their results are showing that, you know, in 2019, I believe they just announced they're going to close up to 53 U.S. stores. I don't know about Canada, um, but I imagine some in Canada will be closed as well. And they've come out saying, and the CEO stepped down probably because she thought, man, this is, you know, who knows why. But I think it's a pretty messy situation right now. I think they've lost cultural relevance. Um, You've got brands that are doing incredibly well by featuring women of all shapes and sizes, um, which is just what I think people are are looking for culturally nowadays. And so I think Victoria's Secret, they really need to look at what they stand for. It's such a caution for a brand because if you if you do stake that claim and you're not really genuine, uh, people Correct. people will pounce on you now like angrily. <laughs> how do you do yes, those checks? Like clear. how do you how do you um, I guess uh, what what should they have done differently? Like other than I guess maybe being more being true to what they wanted to do. Yeah, I'm kind of two mindsets for this. And, you know, I think the sales results kind of tell us that that customers aren't buying into what Victoria's Secret is, is selling them right now. Yeah. But I personally think, I personally think saying the show was all about diversity was an issue. So it was a PR issue and messaging issue in that they should never have said that. They should have just had the show great. There's some wonderful that there's culturally diverse models in the show. Yeah. But I do think there's a part of me thinks Victoria's Secret has always stood for fantasy. And, you know, they've got, they sell a bra that's like a million dollars with gold diamonds. I mean, they're right. all about over the top fantasy. So, and that's, that's who they are. So I think that, um, you know, they either need to, they, they need to not kind of dip their toe in the, in the water of, we're all inclusive, 
you know, leading down the route of real women, because I don't think anyone would expect Victoria's Secret to do that. But I think what they have to do is evolve based on who they are. Okay, they're all about fantasy. How do you do that in a more culturally relevant way? If I had the answer, ideally, Victoria's Secret would be my client, but I don't have the answer. (laughs) So, but I do think there's a way to kind of do both. I don't think they should just become, you know, the dove of the lingerie world. Um, because that's not an appropriate evolution for them. But I think there's something about fantasy, but making it fantasy more so in the real world. Um, yeah, so I think they shouldn't have dipped their toe in the water and claimed diversity when really it wasn't that diverse. Yeah, they maybe really didn't even want to do that. And and it might just be that. Probably not. You know, feeling the forces Probably not. of what they wanted to relate to what's happening in the world. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. That's great advice. Uh, Megan, uh, wow, this the time has just flown by here. It's been, uh, it's wonderful to talk to you. Do you have any advice for a brand uh, that's um, considering this or? <laughs> considering um, a rebrand. Yeah. Yeah. I think the number one thing to do is do what, what we call a think audit, which is to literally speak to, it can be, you know, it can be, 15 to 30 key stakeholders in your business. So, um, you know, a smattering of customers, um, um, partners in the business, employees of all levels, and really ask some key questions and really get an understanding and make sure you're not in a bit of a marketing team or executive team bubble where you think a rebrand is needed and, and do some gut checks and make sure it is needed. I think that's the first and foremost. And, and also be careful not to do a brand... Um, if you, if it is decided a rebrand is needed, don't do a, a full um, revolution of your brand, but instead look at an evolution. What's a natural way to kind of evolve the brand that doesn't take away from where you started from originally and all of a sudden alienate existing customers? Easier said than done. But I think the first place, and you'll get a lot of answers, is um, is to speak to the people who matter matter the most. And I don't think this has to be you know, deep, expensive, quantitative research, I think it can be some lovely qualitative conversations with some smart questions that digs into how key stakeholders are feeling at the moment. And as I say, all levels of people, all types of partners, um, because everyone's important. So I would say that's the first step. And then hopefully we'll be pretty clear on what's needed to, to be done. I, I love that. That's a great first step. I often find that even within a company, people uh, think everyone is thinking the same. And uh, once you bring them together like that with uh, hearing from each other, you sort of realize, well, maybe we have some things we're thinking the same about, but yeah, getting that alignment. Exactly. And I think it's, it's also an amazing thing for company culture because if all of a sudden you're asking, you know, the 24 year old, um, customer service um, manager, what they think about the company's brand, they all of a sudden think, wow, this company really cares what I think. And so there's absolutely no harm in talking to people internally and getting their opinions. Um, I think it does wonders for, for culture and for getting answers. Megan, this has really been uh, a, a great chat, and I, I really sincerely thank you for, um, for sharing your, your ideas and thoughts. How, how can people get uh, or connect with you if they want? Sure, yes. Yeah. So as, um, as I mentioned, I'm based in London, UK, but essentially 
still very much Canadian at, at heart and <laughs> love to chat with anyone interested in, in chatting. Um, and my um, URL is instinctbrandequity.com. So that would be the best way. And my contact info is on there. And is that, um, is that a, are you working with brands um, uh, on an ongoing basis or do you take projects like brand projects or how does that Yes, I'm doing both actually. So um, I'm working with some clients where it's a it going in and doing sort of a uh, an audit of their brand by doing a think audit and then helping them to clarify what their brand stands for. And then basically I'm on board to be sort of a brand police, if you will. So looking at everything <laughs> that the company is doing and making sure we're staying on brand. So I really love doing that. It's, um, it's amazing what consistency can do for a brand. And then in some cases, it is a project basis. So it's going in, helping the company maybe deal with um, a brand clarity issue they may have. Maybe they are looking for what their core purpose is. What do they stand for that they can really sink their teeth into? Um, and so that would be more of a project basis. So it's kind of both. And, um, and I, love, I love both types of work. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Megan. And I hope we, um, I hope we can stay in touch. Thanks very much, David. I really appreciate it and uh, enjoyed the chat.